Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. God, thank you for this evening. We thank you for the book of Hosea and what you've had to teach us on this journey. And we thank you for the closing we get tonight. We just pray that you would challenge us and encourage us. We thank you for those who are on this Zoom, also for those who are listening in podcast land, where we're very grateful for their support and their journeying with us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are in the final session of Hosea. This is chapter 14, 1 to 9, just a nine-verse close here. And as we've looked at with the, with the book, the first three chapters are kind of like God's indictments um, against his people here. God's people are unfaithful. God's people don't know him. God's people are not devoted to him and God's people are deceitful. And what we're going to have tonight is the prophet Hosea giving them kind of like one last chance. He's going to give for them this kind of like a model prayer. Like, people, pray this. This is what you need to pray. This is how you are to return to God. You won't have any hope at all. you got to return to God. And these people are pretty much doomed. God's already talked about um, their destruction and how it's going to come and very soon, very next in history for them. And so, but we know God preserves a remnant and that God uh, continued to, um, to have his people exist in some form and that God has preserved a faithful remnant of Israel even today, those who have turned to Jesus. And if we, we, we read Romans 9, 10, and 11, we know that there are those whose eyes are veiled, and they're not seeing Jesus as, as the Messiah. But one day that veil is going to be removed, we're told in Romans. And But this is not that time yet. And so I kind of like to think that Hosea is speaking to the remnant the ones who are going to respond. There's a whole host of Israelites here that aren't going to give a flip about any of this. And they think life is perfect and that nothing goes wrong. And they're soon going to be crispy critters. All right, they're going to be done. But a remnant will survive. Elijah had to learn that. Daniel was that. Paul was that. We continue. A remnant survives. So we have this first idea here, return to God. This is 14, 1 to 3. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with your words and return, take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him. Okay, so we have hope right there. That's 1 to 2a. There's hope there. Return. You, you have you have hope here because you have a chance. To come before God. You know, and honestly, that's the hope that Job had. Remember the whole book of Job? Job just kept saying, just give me a chance to talk to God. Let me plead my case. That's all I want. I just need a moment. Well, Hosea is saying here, hey, those of you who are going to repent, who God is drawing you to repent, you're going to have a moment like that. Come to God with these words. So there's hope from God. And there's there's four steps here. And the second part of verse 2 and verse 3, when you read this, 
and completion here, then we'll kind of re read through it here. Take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Now, this isn't a, a, a works righteousness where, okay, they've got some good they could put on the table and God's going to take that. It's the people saying to God, hey, the ones who are repenting are saying we're not all completely rotten. We've done some good things too. We're bringing that as well. We're, we're bringing ourselves, all of us, the good and the bad. And it's like we're placing ourselves before you. Here we are. We'll pay with bulls the vows of our lips. So we're actually going to keep our word now. We're not going to be deceitful anymore like the heading is. Wow. That's letter A there, accepting responsibility. And then verse 3, Assyria shall not save us. We'll not ride on horses. And we'll say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. You know, that's what Aaron did. Remember that? Give us a God, Aaron. He, he made a golden calf. Here's your God. These people make idols and say it's our God. They're saying they're not going to, they're going to turn from their past sinful choices. Let her be there. They're going to turn from those past sinful choices. So to return to God means you accept responsibility for who you are, for what you've done, for the wretch that you are. In Christian parlance, you admit that you are a sinner. You turn from your past sinful choices. They're like, it's like they're saying to God, hey, we're not going to turn to the Assyrians anymore. You know, Egypt with their fine horses, we're not going to turn to them either. No, we're not going that way anymore. Our past sinful choices aren't going to be our choices now. That's part of returning to God. Yes, you have a past. Yes, your past most likely is rotten and horrible. Mine is too. But you can learn from your past. You can put your past in its place. You can turn from those past sinful choices. I read a quote this week, better to have messed up and learned from it than done something really well and get all haughty about it. Yeah. Mick takes it in. From history, we know now that the diaspora was way shorter than the Roman diaspora, which lasted nearly 2,000 years. All this to illustrate the point you made about a remnant. Hope for Israel as a nation. Is Israel is an object lesson for the church. Yeah, Israel needed a term. We need to return. So accepting responsibility and turning from past sinful choices. And in you, verse 3 finishes, in you, God, the orphan finds mercy. See, you're turning from your past, and you're turning to trusting in God, and you're finding your hope only in God's love for the undeserving. Remember, that's the whole message of, of, of Hosea. Grace never makes sense. I'm undeserving of it. And I don't want you to think I'm being mean to myself. I'm just being a realistic person. The moment I deserve grace, it's not grace anymore. It's a paycheck. If I deserve grace, it's not grace. If I deserve grace, then Jesus didn't have to die for me. I was going to eventually make it on my own because I deserved it. And that's not the way. That's not my story. That's not the way what life works out. Yeah, grace transcends sense. You're right. So to return to God means you accept responsibility for who you are. You turn from your past sinful choices. You turn to trusting in God, and you find your hope only in God's love for the undeserving. Next is the gift tag. 
Oh, do I have a marker here? Let's draw it real quick. Let's do it. Because I'm cool like that. Give me one second here. Da, 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 da. Da, 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 da. There you go. You got a little tune. Hopefully it turns the right way for you. It's backwards on my screen. A gift tag. A gift tag at Christmas time has a two. When you're looking at the, the, the gifts underneath the Christmas tree, you love to see your name by the two. Yeah, that gift is to me. And then you look at the front and go, who gave me that gift? Who am I going to say thank you for? Oh, mom gave me the gift. Or, you know, this person gave me the gift. You know, Aunt Maribel gave me the gift. Oh, wonderful. Thank you, Aunt Maribel. Whoever it is, to and from, the gift tag is a wonderful illustration for repentance. The problem is, it's exactly backwards. A gift tag, you want to see the, your name under the two. With repentance, you want to see your name under the from. You're turning to Jesus, and you're turning from you. Jesus put it another way. Deny yourself. In order for you to repent, less of you, more of Jesus. John 3 says, he must increase, I must decrease. The gift tag. Every single time you get a gift under that Christmas tree, I want you to look at that to and from, and I want you to think about the choices you need to make, the weeds you need to pull in your life, and the seeds you need to plant. Your greatest enemy is you. Your greatest enemy in your relationships, in your marriage, at your you are the one. Read Romans 7. Let Paul teach you about that. There's weeds you got to pull, and there's seeds you got to plant. There's things you got to stop, and there's things you got to start. See, that's Israel's story. They had to accept responsibility. They had, they had to turn from their past. They had to turn to trusting in God alone for their salvation. Salvation is the same then and today. Salvation in the Old Testament sense is we are screwed and we have no hope. Our only hope is God or the enemy is going to win. The difference is the enemy is Assyria versus the enemy being our sin in the theological sense in the New Testament. To return to God, second, I will heal. 14, 4 to 8. This is beautiful. We start with deal with their sin. God's going to deal with their sin. God says, I will heal their apostasy. This whole book of Hosea it started with Gomer, the prostitute wife, prostituting herself with her apostasy ways in her marriage. And she was a symbol for Israel who prostituted herself as a wayward wife of husband Yahweh with the Baals. I will heal their apostasy. Now, I don't know if God's talking about these people, because I think these people are going to be crispy critters. But the ones who are going to repent one day, the ones that God is preserving for that day of repentance, whenever that day is, that remnant, he will heal their apostasy. He's going to actually deal with their sin. We worship a God who can deal with sin. The very thing that you have done to separate you from God, he's powerful enough to actually deal with it. We make fun of the Karens out there for wanting to speak to the manager, but that's our whole world. We can speak right to the manager. 
he can actually deal with it. Not the person behind the counter working the cash register. They can't do anything. We can go right to God, taking it right to the manager. He can actually deal with our sin. Five to seven, he can bless the people. Listen to what he says here. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive, his fragrance like Lebanon. All those cedars up in Lebanon, yes. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. You know, there's a shadow hanging over your life. What is that shadow? Is it your past? Or is it the cross? Here? It's not the cross. It's God himself. You remember that third day of song? And I will find my strength in the shadow of your wings. Yes. In those kanafim, in God's wings, in that shadow. That's where I find my hope. That's where I find my strength, my protection. In God's shadow. Your shadow doesn't matter at that point. You're in God's shadow. I, they shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Mm. You see, not only return to God, but I will heal. He will deal with their sin. And he's going to deal with their sin in a way in which they didn't exactly have a full category for, did they? Atonement was just a smearing over. It wasn't a full and final deal. The day of atonement was a little bit stronger of that. But it still wasn't the cross. It just pointed to the cross. Where sin was once for all dealt with. Once for all. Theological mic drop. he will deal with their sin. He will bless the people. And there's this great contrast. Oh, Ephraim, he gets all poetic there. You can tell his heart softening just a bit. What have I to do with idols? You're not going to play those games anymore. It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. There's a great contrast here. There's something that, that we English readers have no idea about. But I, I found this in my studies today. The verb for I who watch over you has many parts of the word for Assyria in it. It's like Ashirianu. God's doing a pun. He's like, who are you going to turn to? Assyria? Or the one who's really watching over you. To them, they're looking at that and going, yeah, which Assyria are you going to turn to? The one who's going to eventually destroy you? Or the one who's going to heal you? So who watches over you? Who watches over you? You need to think about that. Who do you turn to? When life is at its roughest, who are you assuming is watching over you? Are you dwelling in his shadow? 
Are you trying to make your own shadow? You see, because Israel, I think, was trying to make their own shadow. I think they were seeing how far they could go and how good they could live and how rich they could become. Versus focusing on Almighty God and turning to Him. We have a final verse. Now choose. Let me scroll down the page here. Verse 9. Whoever is wise, it sounds like a proverb here now, doesn't it? Or maybe Ecclesiastes make. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning. So you want to be wise? Yes, Joe, I want to be wise. Don't be silly. Do you want to be discerning? Of course I do. What are you talking about? Of course I do. Then pay attention. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. The ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. This sounds like the closing words of Ecclesiastes. Everything but fear of the Lord. This is good stuff. The ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. This also sounds like Psalm 1. But transgressors stumble in them. So here's the thing. You're traveling. Choose your method of travel. Are you going to walk? Or are you going to stumble? Yes, Daniel texts in, um, Judaism points to Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord and Messiah. Amen. Amen. And make Psalm 91, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. There it is. God's saying, you can dwell in my shadow. So it's a basic theology here. One, two, and three. What the Lord says is just and right. Only the upright follow God. So rejecting God brings stumbling or ruin. So where are you in that one, two, and three? God is just and right. You want to walk and not trip. You follow God. You want to be considered upright, righteous. You want to be listed with those like Noah, blameless before God, Job. Yeah, only the upright follow God. Rejecting God brings stumbling and ruin. Yeah, there's the valley of the shadow of death. You're right, Psalm 23. Uh, choose the comforting shadow, not the, the blinding one. Yeah, nice. A lamp unto our feet and a light into our path. We shall not stumble in the darkness anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I will. Another verse in that psalm, I will hide God's word in my heart that I may not sin against, against him. When you shine a light, it casts a shadow, I guess. You, there's, a, there's a choice here at the end. What are you going to do? What are you going to choose? Are you going to choose to walk or are you going to choose your own path? Which is going to lead you to trip. It's going to lead you to stumble. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. The upright walk in them. The transgressors stumble in them. Ah, transgressors. So if you're upright, you're righteous, you're following after God. 
if you're a transgressor, if you're a sinner, if you're actively sinning and not repenting, you're following your own path. You're like the book of Judges, doing whatever is right in your own eyes. It's just going to cause you to stumble. I want to close with a famous example of repentance. This might be something you've never done before. You might have glossed over it. It is the most famous example of a repenter in the Bible. So in Luke 15, there's the prodigal son. But this is the best part of the prodigal son story. Because this describes, well, let's read. Okay, we know what's happening in the prodigal son story. He told his dad, I want my inheritance while his dad was still alive. Essentially telling dad, hey, I wish you were dead. And his dad graciously said, here you go. He took it. He wasted. He was a wastrel. He had to go hire himself out. Slopping pigs. Good Jewish boy doing all that. 17 to 20, Luke 15. Here we go. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. If this is a bring tears to your eyes, shame on you. Get emotional with the prodigal son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Because this is you. Just like I am Gomer, I am the prodigal. You see, repentance started in this boy's heart. In his inner narrative. In his self-talk. We get to see his self-talk. Before he even gets up and goes anywhere, he, <laughs> he's rationalizing it. He's talking about his, his, he's talking things out. He's coming to his senses and realizing, I don't have a good here. I have one hope. You know what he's doing? Go to the top of the page. He's accepting responsibility. He's turning from his past sinful choices. And he's turning to trust his father, who in the parable symbolizes God. His only hope is found in God's love for the undeserving. Who is more undeserving than the prodigal son? He's the most undeserving character in all the Bible. Jesus' audience would be like, there's no way he's going to welcome him back. He's going to make him be the slave. He's going to say, yeah, you're, you're right, you're going to be the servant. I never want to see you in this house again. You don't deserve it. Treat me the way you did. This kid's only hope was that his father was going to show him love he didn't deserve. You see, repentance started in his heart. It always does. You have this conviction. God leads you to repentance and you say, yes, I am tired of me. I am tired of the wretch. I'm going to accept responsibility. I'm going to turn from my past. I'm going to turn to God. I'm going to do that Christmas gift tag. I'm going to turn to God and turn from me. My hope alone is in God's love for the undeserving bum that is me. But the verses finish here. And he arose and came 
to his father. See, there's all kinds of people that would decide in their heart to repent and then never stink and do it. I know that was me in the worst season of my life. I never did. Terrible. I was the worst of the prodigal son and I didn't follow through like the prodigal son. I was the worst of Gomer. Hosea had to keep buying me back again and again and again and again. I treated once for all like a joke. And he arose and came to his father. And as Sandy pointed out, and his father ran. I don't know why God didn't give up on Israel. I don't know why God preserved a remnant. I don't know why God gave them hope. I don't know why God had them continue. I don't know why God didn't just make them crispy critter after crispy critter. But God shows love for the undeserving. I know. Because that's me. And that's why Hosea means something to me. When I enter a church service, I gather to say thank you. When I read God's word and I see God's hand at work, I say thank you. Repentance starts in the heart, but it always flows from the heart and turns into your life. And I got to tell you, my friends, repentance is an everyday thing. Every day. You never stop repenting. How do I know? Luke 3, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Keeping is an I-N-G word. Keep doing it. You got to keep repenting. At no time are you allowed to turn to you and turn from Jesus. So don't. Your daily prayer. Jesus, increase in my life. Help me to decrease. Yeah. The father saw that prodigal from afar. That's right. He ran to him. You're right, man. Hosea means something to us. Let's go back to the top. Because we at times are unfaithful. We at times act like we don't know God. We at times act like we're not devoted to him. And we at times are deceitful. We are like the worst of Israel. Therefore, we pay attention. And even though grace doesn't make sense, it is by that grace we are saved. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. This has been Big Rev from Hosea 14. God bless you all. Thanks for letting me share. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.